I'd like for you to take the Word of God, please, and turn to John chapter 15, John chapter 15. Uh, I received a, a gracious phone call from our one of our 4th District representatives, uh, Baba Kaslin, yesterday, just a friendly call, and uh, he was relaying to me that, that uh, our state is really in a battle. Uh, our nation is really in a battle, if you haven't noticed that. And uh, so we need, to, we need to pray down heaven uh, on this thing. And we need to ask God for revival and confess our sin, being sure that we're thoroughly right with God. I believe that our nation stands at a, as a, at a crossroads of opportunity uh, in order... It must have got too cold by the fan. Um, in, order, in order for God to send revival. I, I believe it's entirely... Uh, entirely possible. I believe we're on the, the threshold of it, of something great happening uh, in this nation, spiritually speaking. But we're in a battle, folks. We're in a battle uh, for this nation. And uh, pray for our representatives. Pray for our Senator Mike Patton. Uh, my, uh, Matt Shea is not running. Uh, he has, uh, well, I understand, has several opponents. Um, I think Bob McCaslin's seat, there's three others that are uh, running for that seat. Well, we need to be sure that Bob McCaslin gets back there, uh, back to Olympia. Uh, we need to sure that, uh, be sure that Mike Patton gets back there. And uh, uh, also, uh, you may not know this, but Rob Chase is running for Matt Shea's seat. And uh, I, uh, let me tell you, I know Rob Chase. I know him personally. And I know his testimony of salvation. And you can, you can uh, check out other candidates, but I, I'll, I'll tell you this, uh, I know who my vote's going for. And uh, so I would encourage you to uh, consider that. Uh, that's not a, a, a political endorsement. Uh, it's a personal endorsement uh, of, of Rob Chase. Uh, you'll not find uh, a, a more conservative Christian man. Um, and I, I would recommend that you give that some uh, serious consideration as we face this election season, as with all of the other elections, there's nothing in the bag. Get out there and vote. Get out there and, uh, and exercise that privilege you have as a, as, a, as a citizen of this great, great country. John chapter 15. You know, what our nation needs more than anything else right now is our nation needs a friend. And in John chapter 15, Jesus speaks of the gift of friendship. Now this morning we're going to talk about the gift of friendship. Tonight we're going to talk about those who say they're our friends, but they're not. They're wolves. The Bible gives warning about wolves. And so this morning and this evening are going to be connected, but they're going to be uh, diametrically opposed. It's this morning we'll talk about biblical, true biblical friendship. And then tonight we'll talk about wolves and give you a warning about wolves. Uh, in the local assembly. John chapter 15 and verse number 11, the Word of God says, These things have I spoken unto you, that my joy might remain in you, and that your joy might be full. Do you know that the Lord Jesus wants you to be joyful? He wants you to have joy in your life. Uh, he doesn't want the, the, the Christian life to be one of drudgery and, and, and duty. He wants it to be a life of joy and peace and, and goodness. He wants us to enjoy things and be joyful in it. That's not to say we won't have things in our lives that, are, uh, that make us unhappy or that are difficult. Uh, but despite those things, we can still have joy. And that's what Jesus is beginning to communicate here. Verse number 12, This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love hath no man than this, that a man 
lay down his life for his friends. That's a great passage of scripture to consider uh, when we think about this nation's, our nation's birthday. Uh, the men who, who, and women, for that matter, who fought and died uh, for the privilege to be called an American. You understand? You know, we all we see are the works. It's what I spoke of this morning in Sunday school. Sunday school. How that many times all we see is the works that get done, and we don't understand the labor that was behind it. That, that's much like it was for us in this nation. We don't understand the labor uh, that went into the founding of this nation. And it's sad for me to see this just being torn down. The monuments that are, uh, have been constructed and erected for the purpose of recognizing the history of this country. It's a shame that those landmarks are being taken down, isn't it? And that's a sad thing. I think it's a sad, sad commentary. And it's because of revisionist history. See, uh, the... Uh, you know, the typical uh, public school education has erased, you know, these significant things of our nation, how it was founded, the fact that it was founded upon the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ and the principles of God's Word. You know, you, can look, you don't have to look very far to see that. These things are being torn down. And, uh, and, 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 and it really, it's a, it's a slap in the face for those who gave their lives, who laid down their lives. And not just... I understand it's not just for this country. It's not just for our liberties. But, but America has been involved in the liberation of oppressed people groups all over the world. Almost on every continent, if not every continent, this world. America is an exceptional country. Don't let anybody ever tell you any different. Ye are my friends, Jesus said, if you do whatsoever I command you, Henceforth I call you not servants, for the servant knoweth not what his Lord doeth, but all I have, uh, have called you friends. For all things that I have heard of my Father I have made known unto you. Verse 16, Ye have not chosen me, but I have chosen you, and ordained you that ye should go and bring forth fruit, and that your fruit should remain, that whatsoever ye shall ask of the Father in my name, he may give it you. These things I command you, that ye love one another. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we do thank you again for the privilege of being called Americans, a greater privilege, though, to be called a Christian, a follower of Christ. Lord, help us. Help us to labor in it. Lord, help us to be part of the solution for this great nation and for the world. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. We need to move beyond mere friendliness to being true biblical friends. Our Lord Jesus dealt with the subject of friendship here in John chapter 15 and He placed an emphasis on three great principles that are demonstrated in friendship. Compassion, confidence, and companionship. All of the principles of friendship that Christ spoke of are perfectly demonstrated in the divine invitation of God to transform strangers, think of that, into His friends. True biblical friendship begins with God. Mark that now. True biblical friendship begins with God. Number one, the first thing that Jesus mentioned here in John chapter 15 and verse number 13, this great principle of friendship, number one, compassion. If we are to have true friendships, then we must demonstrate compassion 
Just as the Lord Jesus Christ did when He laid down His life for His friends. We see that in John 15, 13, Greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. It's not enough for us just to have passion. If you were to take your Bible and turn over to Luke chapter 10, and uh, verses number 25 through 37, you would see that it is a parable that Jesus told in Luke chapter 10 and verses 25 through 37. We see that this is the parable of the Good Samaritan. Verse 25, Jesus said, a lawyer stood up and tempted Jesus, saying, Master, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus said unto him, What is written in the law? How readest thou? And he answered and said, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy strength, and with all thy mind, and thy neighbor as thyself. And he said unto him, Thou hast answered right, this do, and thou shalt live. But he willing to justify himself said unto Jesus, And who is my neighbor? And Jesus answering said, A certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among thieves, which stripped him of his raiment, wounded him, departed, leaving him half dead. By chance there came down a certain priest that way, and when he saw him, I want you to note that, the priest saw him. He passed by on the other side, and likewise a Levite, when he was at the place, came and looked on him. The priest saw him. The Levite looked on him and passed by on the other side. But a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion on him. And if we were to read the rest of that passage of Scripture, we would know what it is that that Samaritan did. The priest and the Levite that Christ spoke of in the parable of the Good Samaritan may have had a passion for the man. And, and I believe it's okay for us to consider that that priest being a, a man of God, Levite being a man of God, no doubt, no doubt saw the man, looked upon the man, and something inside of them stirred a passion for the plight of that poor soul. I think it's entirely possible. But it was not enough that they were willing to be inconvenienced to help the man. The word passion means to suffer. We hear about this, the passion of Christ. That's what it's talking about. The sufferings of Christ. When you put that little prefix on there, and change the word to compassion, it means to suffer with. To suffer, passion. To suffer with, compassion. And so if we're to have true biblical friendships, then there are going to be times when we must inconvenience ourselves to suffer with others. Where we're going to have to set aside our agenda and take upon somebody else's. So we might be a help to them. Isn't that what the Samaritan did? That was the whole point of that parable, by the way. Jesus got done and said, which one of those three was that poor man's friend? It was the Samaritan. Why? Because he suffered with that man. He took that man's burden upon himself. And folks, 
if we're going to be a help to this nation, we need to be that kind of firm. On occasion, we'll have to be inconvenienced to suffer with those around us. And being a friend to them that way. Number two, Jesus spoke of this great principle of friendship, and that is confidence. That's something here in John chapter 15 that I hadn't seen before. It's been there for 2,000 years, but I hadn't seen it. In John chapter 15, this great principle of confidence in people. I think it's so important. True biblical friendship will also be demonstrated in our lives by placing confidence in others, just like the Lord Jesus Christ did when He placed His confidence in His friends to carry out His work. Look at verse 14 of John chapter 15. Ye are my friends, if ye do whatsoever I command you. Now to understand, I had never seen it in this light before, but to understand the context of that verse, you've got to look at what's around it. And, and what's going on here is Jesus is standing in the shadow of the cross. And He's trying to prepare the apostles and the disciples for His departure. And He's talking about that. He's talking about His, his confidence in them. He's, he's going to give them the Great Commission. And I, I think a lot of times we may get to this verse and we treat it as, as more of a rigid thing than I think Christ really intended it. We treat it as an if-then statement. We treat it almost as if it's a, if it's a command. But I, I think it's more than just a command here. The greater part of this is that this is the Lord Jesus Christ expressing confidence in His friends. In other words, I believe in its context what Jesus is communicating here is, hey, I know that when I leave here, you're going to carry on my work because everybody that's my friend carries on my work. And Jesus, in the context of this, I think is expressing a great confidence in those that He calls His friends. He already knows that because they're His friends, because they're, they're loyal to Him, they're loyal to His cause, that when He leaves this earth to ascend to be at the right hand of the throne of God, He knows with all confidence that those uh, that have walked with Him and talked with Him and lived with Him and, and learned from Him, he knows that they're going to follow His commandments to carry out the Great Commission. I think it's a very positive thing, extremely positive thing that Christ says here. And it's something that demonstrates for us a great principle about true biblical friendship. Too often we're critical of others, aren't we? How does that make you feel being critical of people? Does that make you feel better? When you rant on social media, tear somebody down. Someone once said, don't forget when you sling mud, you lose ground. It never makes me feel better to be critical of somebody, ever. I've made it my determination as with the Lord's help. <laughs> when my wife and I take a walk each day, that we talk about nothing negative. Now the truth is, once in a while we'll slip into that and you know, start being critical. We'll have to catch ourselves and say, we're not doing that. We're too critical. It's so easy to find the faults, flaws, failures, and, and frailties in other people. We need to work at our confidence in others. The Bible says something about that. In 1 Corinthians chapter 13, I want to show you what the Word of God teaches about godly charity and how it demonstrates confidence in others. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, and verses 4 through 8. 
The word charity is the English word that is being used here. The Greek word is agape. It's, it's, it's a, a word that speaks of God's love, unconditional love. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 4. Charity suffereth long. Now, again, we're, we're looking at what the Word of God says about our confidence in people, our confidence in others. Charity suffereth long. That doesn't sound critical, does it? It's long-suffering. It's patient. It's kind. Charity envieth not. Charity vaunteth not itself, is not puffed up, doth not behave itself unseemly, seeketh not her own, is not easily provoked. Here it is, look at this, thinketh no evil. Uh, Rejoiceth not in iniquity, but rejoiceth in the truth. Here it is, beareth all things, believeth all things, hopeth all things, endureth all things, charity never faileth. Never faileth. And it never fails that when we look at people with that kind of confidence, it never fails to make us feel better than if we're critical. True biblical friendship demonstrates confidence. When we hear something, our initial reaction ought to be, honestly, ought to be, according to what the Word of God says here in 1 Corinthians 13, our initial thought ought to be, well, that must not have been what they meant. See, charity believes and has confidence in, in other people. In particular, our brothers and sisters in Christ. Charity, hope with all things. If we can't say, well, I, I don't believe that to be true about that person, maybe we can say, I, I hope that's not true about that person. It hopes, it hopes the best in things. It hopes the best in others. We go around and we show compassion and we're willing to suffer with people and sometimes be inconvenienced by others' burdens and express confidence in people and not just try to nitpick the, all the little areas of life that are so easy to find the critical things. If we would turn that on its head and do as the Word of God teaches us here in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, that would be something considered to be true biblical friendship. True biblical friendship. By the way, I understand placing confidence in men. The Word of God says is not a, a good thing to do. It's not a wise thing to do. But you're not placing your confidence in men. You're placing your confidence in the God of heaven to work in the hearts of men. You understand that? That's the difference. I believe God can reach that person. I have a hope that that, that person can change. Amen? See, that's being a friend. And when we look at all these things, these images we see coming across our television screens, and when we look across the aisle and see somebody who's diametrically opposed to our political views or our moral stands, we ought to have confidence in the God of heaven that they can reach those people whom in our flesh we really don't like. And we can be a friend of those very people that make our skin crawl by placing our confidence the God of heaven to realize that that's a soul for whom Christ has died. And it's a soul that's not unreachable for the cause of Christ. Compassion. Confidence. Then lastly, companionship. Companionship. I'm about to say something that may get me taken off of Facebook again. 
I count it as a bit of a badge of honor. I've had no less than two sermons taken down off of the internet. Doesn't bother me. I'm happy. Yea, and all that live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. It's not that I relish the idea, but it doesn't trouble me. So if you're watching this, if you want to watch this again, you better watch quick because it may get taken down after I say some of the things, at least one thing I'm about to say about companionship. John 15, 15, if you'll take your Bibles and turn back there, the Word of God says in John 15, 15, Henceforth I call you not servants, for the servant knoweth not what his Lord doeth, but I have called you, say it with me, friends. For all things that I have heard of my Father I have made known unto you. That's what he said. The God of heaven called us friends. There's a, an intimacy found in true biblical friendship. An intimacy. And it involves companionship. It's the same intimacy I believe that we find when our Lord Jesus called His followers to, here it is, to be with Him. That is the express purpose that Mark 3.14 says when Jesus called the apostles. He called them for one purpose and that was to be with Him. To be with Him. Can I just throw something in here for you to consider? Thank you. I'll do it anyway. <laughs> Even if you said no. If you were to fill in the blank at the end of this sentence, I'm curious what you would say because I think it may be the same as what I've said for years. It was what I was taught. And I surrendered to the Lord and started on this journey of walking with God and being in the ministry. Well, how would you fill in this blank? My blank is my first ministry. Now, don't say it. Because I think I know what you might say. Now, this is what I was taught. I was taught that my family is my first ministry. And that's, that's a wonderful thing. That's a wonderful thing. But it's not true. My first ministry is being with Christ. Second to that is my family. And third to that is you all. But my first ministry is to Christ. Your first ministry is to Christ. To be with Him. There's an intimacy there. An intimacy that's expressed in that statement where Jesus called His disciples to be with Him. Look it up sometime. Mark chapter 3 and verse number 14. It's the same intimacy that we find when David lamented over the death of Jonathan saying, Thy love to me. Have you ever read this and wondered, whoa. It's there in 2 Samuel 2.26. Thy love to me was wonderful. Passing the love of women. Now friend, I'm a red-blooded American man. And that's a strong statement for a red-blooded American man to wrap his mind around. How that David's love for Jonathan could by his own testimony pass the love of women. Now here's what I'm about to say and so I'll just give everybody a warning so Facebook can flag me however they want. But the homosexual agenda has cast a shadow of suspicion on that type of intimacy 
And it's no wonder. Because the Word of God tells us in the book of Titus, chapter 1 and verse number 15, under the pure, all things are pure. But unto them that are defiled and unbelieving is nothing pure, but even their mind and their conscience is defiled. And the homosexual agenda has cast a suspicion, a dark shadow, upon this thing of intimate companionship. As a matter of fact, when I, when I mentioned the word intimacy, it very well could have been that we conjured up the wrong image in our minds. We've been tainted. It's, it's constantly thrown into our faces and projected as a, a normal thing, a perverted lifestyle. That which is bitter is now called sweet. That which is sweet is, is now called bitter. It's like I've explained before about, uh, before about the uh, Durkheim constant. How, that there's a, a constant degradation on our society and that which was abhorred becomes normal and that which is normal becomes abhorred. And it's diminished and it's demeaned. That's what we're finding come true today. We've got to keep ourselves pure before the God of heaven. We, that's the way that I pray, Lord, help me to be pure in my thinking. There's certain words that I can't stand up in the pulpit and say because there, there'll be maybe somebody in the room that would snicker. You know? It's pitiful. It's pitiful. Our minds have become defiled. And, and, and it's largely due to our, obviously, to our sin nature. That's what it all boils down to, uh, that, uh, that the fall of man is the cause of all of this to begin with. But there's an agenda out there that pushes this stuff and casts a dark shadow on pure things. And one of the pure things, the purest things that we have in friendship is intimacy. So much so that David is recorded for all of humanity and all the world to see that he had an intimate relationship and it wasn't a homosexual relationship. I even hate to use the word because it was invented by a sexual deviant at the end of the 18th century. He invented the words homosexual and heterosexual. Here's the Bible word for it, Sodom. You know? There's only two, male and female. You can say you're non-binary, but it doesn't change the fact. There's only two, male and female, created he them. <coughs> you can label it whatever you want, but I, you know, there's a very easy check to figure that out. And if by chance you're still confused, you can go get a blood test and you're either going to have two X chromosomes or an X and a Y chromosome. If there's some confusion there about... Your, your sexual identity. And the homosexual agenda has, has cast a dark shadow on this thing of intimacy. Folks, we have, we have got to be reminded of what the Bible says about companionship and how David was unashamed to say, Jonathan, I loved you and you loved me in a way that even a woman couldn't satisfy The intimacy and companionship that the Word of God speaks of is not perverted love, it's love perfected. Love that results in true biblical friendship. I'm going to end with a question. And then an illustration. Do you need a friend? 
To have friends, the Bible says we must show ourselves friendly. It's Proverbs 18.24. In order to make true biblical friends, we need to show compassion and confidence in others. Compassion, suffering with those that are suffering. Confidence. You know, often people find it hard to have confidence in others because they know that they're not trustworthy themselves. We often impose on other things flaws that we find in our own life and character. Notice with me lastly here how John, uh, Jesus dealt with friendship in verses 16 and 17 of our text. Ye have not chosen me, but I have chosen you and ordained you that you should go and bring forth fruit, that your fruit should remain, that whatsoever you shall ask of the Father in my name, he may give you these things I command you, that you love one another. It's a fascinating thing that God finds us as strangers and aliens and he brings us to be with him, making us uh, his friends. Ephesians chapter 2 and uh, verses 12 and 13. Just look there very quickly as we wrap things up here. Ephesians chapter 2, 12 and 13. The word of God says uh, that we should be to the praise of it. That's chapter 1. Uh, chapter 2, how about verse 12 and 13. That at the time ye were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world, but now in Christ Jesus, ye who sometimes were afar off are made nigh by the blood of Christ. It's a fascinating thing that the God of heaven would, uh, would take us as aliens and bring us into a friendship, as a stranger and bring us into a friendship with himself. We, we could not be more alienated from God. Do you know that? For all his sin and come short of the glory of God. That very verse expresses that idea. We could not be further from God. In uh, this is the record that we have in God's Word. First John chapter 1 tells us that God is light and in Him is no darkness at all. And it goes on to express that those who walk in the light have fellowship with God. Those who do not, we're so, we're so alienated from God as, as lost people, as sinners. Yet the Lord Jesus brings us in and He makes us friends. He laid down His own life so that we could become the friends of God. Imagine that. Think of that. Dwell on that this afternoon. The fact that the God of heaven took you as an alien and as a stranger, me as an alien and as a stranger, and made us friends by the blood of Christ. What a thought. And not only that, but He delights to have this intimate companionship with us. Why don't we do that for others? We, we should be finding people who are strangers and bring them in to be friends. And it requires compassion. It requires compassion. And that costs. It requires confidence. And, and we want to hide. It requires companionship, but often we live selfish lives. Don't we? And I'm glad the Lord Jesus isn't that way. Joseph Scriven was a man who was engaged to be married when his wife-to-be drowned in a horrible accident. And as you might imagine, he was quite heartbroken. A number of years later, he immigrated from Ireland to Canada, and he met another young lady. And they fell in love. And all that heartache, although it didn't entirely go away, it was certainly made better by the fact that he had found this, this wonderful woman. But just a few weeks before their wedding, 
she fell ill and died. Joseph Scriven was 25 years old and heartbroken again. Over time, Joseph Scriven learned to be content in his relationship with God through the Lord Jesus Christ. One day he received word from Dublin, Ireland that his mother was was ill. He didn't have the money uh, to make the trip back to Ireland. So he wrote his mother a poem. Several years later, there was an American attorney that put music to the poem. And now we have the wonderful hymn, What a Friend We Have in Jesus, written by Joseph Scriven. We're going to sing that. 260, standing as we sing. And as we stand to sing, I give this invitation. Those without Christ, today is the day of salvation. You'll not have a friend like the Lord Jesus ever, 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 ever. Listen, the truth is that that in this life, and you learn this over time, don't you? In this life, 260. In this time over life, we learned that people disappoint us. You ever been disappointed by, by a friend? There's a friend that sticks closer than a brother, and his name is Jesus. And that Lord Jesus, He's got compassion. He is willing, willing to suffer with you. He's got confidence in you. And He's willing to have an intimate companionship with you. And if you've not yet trusted Christ as your Savior, you'll not find a better friend than Jesus. So as we sing this song, if you're lost this morning, if you're without Christ, if you don't have that friendship with Him, I want you to listen to the words of this song as we sing it. And know that there's no friend like Christ. And this morning, you ought to come. You ought to come recognizing who Jesus is and what He's done for you. An alien and a stranger by His blood brings you in to be a friend of God. Will you come this morning? Maybe you're here this morning and the Word of God has spoken to you in some other way. Maybe, maybe you, it might simply be this, that you need to come and, and confess some critical spirits you might have shown towards somebody. You know, in this climate that we find ourselves in, boy, the world doesn't need another critic. Let's be peacemakers. Let's be friends. Our Lord may have spoken your heart. I know that there's a couple here this morning that needs to join the church. And so I'm giving this invitation for them so they know that they're supposed to come now. As we sing the first verse of this great song, look at the words, will you? Let's not just make this a song that we sing, but something that means something to our hearts. On that first verse, the 260 Josh.